here, and I'm so glad you're here. Good to see you. So I wasn't supposed to work at Royer's this year for Valentine's Day, but circumstances ended up I did. And so I am so appreciate Josh being willing to step in, bring the word to us, because I was working and didn't have time to prepare a sermon. Josh, if you'll come forward, bring the word of God to us today, brother. All right. Good morning. So I will try my best to convey God's message today. So I got to figure out how to get back to the beginning. There we go. All right. So my topic was faith, the how and why. So a lot of us know that faith, we need to have faith to be saved. I mean, how are we going to be saved by something that we don't have faith in, being God? Oftentimes, we talk to people about having faith, and they're like, well, what does that mean? It's very hard for, to explain to people, or even ourselves, to know exactly what faith is. It's, it's hard for us to understand. Just like in God's Word, it's hard to understand why He does the things He does. The only way we're going to learn how to decipher or understand what He does is to have faith. We have faith. How can we have faith in a chair when we sit down knowing that it's going to hold us? By sitting down in it, doing it, and seeing that it actually holds us. If you tell somebody something, they're going to be like, yeah, okay, whatever. The only way they're going to learn is by doing it. So hopefully through the scriptures that I picked out, we can try to understand through biblical, through scripture, people that had faith why they had faith, and how it allowed them to be righteous with God and to believe in God and God to provide for them. So in the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 12.10, i got to turn this thing, it's not, there we go. Um, we see here that Abram was in a land that God had given them. He was doing good. But for some reason, a famine came upon the land, and he had to move. In Genesis 12:10, it says, At that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt, where he lived as a foreigner. He was in a land that God had given him, and yet God allowed a famine to happen and told him, Hey, go to this place. When the famine struck, Abram went to Egypt, where there was food. If we read that story and we find out that, you know, God had told Abram to go to Canaan in the first place, and now all of a sudden he's telling him to go to Egypt, why would God allow a famine in the land where he had just called Abram? It seems kind of contradictory. Like, why would that happen? But there is always... Technical issue. Hey, this has never happened to me before, Hub. Really? You're, you're going to... This. Let's flip it back and forth like it's... Brief greeting time. Greet one another. Don't go too far, though, because we're going to get this figured out fast, hopefully. 
it's not that we're not figuring it out. It's it's not working. Yeah. They can control from the back, right? You want to control from the back? Yeah, we'll just do that. Right, holding everybody up. Nope. Yeah. I don't know what that thing is. I think it's interfering. Must be a monitor thing. Well, it shouldn't interfere with it unless you click on it. You might actually. See, now it's on. Oh. I'm a I computer, thought you were I'm a computer nerd. Oh, now we got that. So we want to just get rid of this, but we're not getting the right arrow up there. That is not the arrow we want. Do you know how to bring up the solar? I don't know what system you're using, so once it's I can PowerPoint, once I isn't it? Though and learn it, then I'll be able to be a nerd about it. I want you to but do I'm that. looking at it right now. Is this Apple? Yeah, it says AirPlay uh, unable to connect, so we'll just um, have him do it from back there. Yeah, you want to just control it from back there? All right. All right, guys, let's try and get back at this once. All right, so when the famine struck, God called Abram to go to Egypt. Now, why would God call, create a famine in the land that he had just given him? This was a test of Abram's faith. He wanted to see, God wanted to see if Abram would listen to him, would go where he told him to go and do what he told him to do. And since Abram just picked up his family and all his cattle and livestock and everything and left to go to Egypt without questioning God, I mean, he may have in the back of his mind, but he just picked it up and left. He didn't procrastinate and say, okay, well, let's just wait this out. You know, this is only, you know, a minor thing. He left. It was a test of his faith, and he passed. He left and went. How many of us could tomorrow, if God asked us, hey, I want you to leave Columbia, York, Mountville, wherever you live, and you're going to go to California and start preaching for me? Who's, who's, gonna pick, who's just going to be like, yep, God got it. We're also going to pack all 17 of their kids in a van, rent a big 18-wheeler, and say, okay, we're out of here. That has to take a big, big amount of faith to be able to do that. But he didn't question God's leading when facing that difficulty. Many of us believers find that when they determine to follow God, they immediately encounter great obstacles. God never said that life was going to be simple and easy following him. I believe in the Bible it even says you are going to have obstacles, you are going to have challenges, you are going to have adversaries coming against you. It's in those times that we find whether we have the faith in God or not. It's whether we just give up and say, okay, I'm done, I can't do this anymore. Or we say, God, yep, you told me to go here, this is what I'm going to do. The next time we face, we face such a test, we shouldn't second guess what God is doing. Instead, we have to use the intelligence that God gave us, as Abraham did when, tempor Abraham did when temporarily moved to Egypt. It was a temporary thing. God only had him there for a little bit. And then we wait for our next opportunity. So when Abram left in Genesis 15, 6, 
And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. He didn't count him righteous because he left the land and said, yep, okay, I'm going. He counted him righteous because he had faith in God, that God knew what he was doing, and there was a reason God was sending him there. Although Abram had been demonstrating his faith through his actions, it was, not his belief, it, was, it was his belief in the Lord, not his actions, that made Abram right with God. We too can have right relationship with God by trusting him. Our outward actions, our church attendance, our prayer, our acts of service, will not by themselves make us right with God. It's our faith in him. Our faith that we are doing what he wants us to do, that we are doing what his word tells us to do, and in the end, we'll be in eternity with him. A lot of us have that problem, have that faith. To, when we do something, we want immediate results. We want to see the, the fruit of our actions right away. We can't wait. I know for me, being at work, I get paid every week. Now, if my boss went to say, okay, you're going to get paid every two weeks now, I'm used to that immediate, like, you know, knowing my paycheck's going to be every week. To go to every other week, it's going to be like, oh, man, now I've got to refigure out all my budget and everything like that. How am I going to make it two weeks without paying instead of one? But I have to have faith that everything's going to work out. A right relationship is based on faith. The heartfelt inner confidence that God is who he says he is and does what he says he will do. If we have faith in God, if we read his word and we pray and we have faith in God that he knows what he's doing, our right actions will follow naturally as a byproduct. How often do we do something over and over and over and after a while it just becomes instinct? We don't have to think about the steps to do things. You know, if you make, if you, make a, you take a um, recipe and you make that recipe, at first you have to look at the ingredients and you have to look at the steps on doing everything. Afterwards, after you do it numerous times, after a while it's just like, yep, okay, I need one cup of flour, one this. You don't have to look at the instructions anymore. You do it by heart. It's the same way having faith in God. If we have faith in God, it's just going to be an instinct when we have something bad come in our lives or an obstacle, the first thing we're going to do out of faith and out of instance is pray. Seek God's guidance and then move on. Instead of letting it worry us and bring us down, the first thing we do, the first thing we should do is turn to God. Not worry about our earthly actions that we're going to do. Okay, well, Rent's due, my paycheck's low, how am I going to do this? Okay, well, if I take from here in order to do this, no, first thing we should do is pray to God, God, help me. What should I do in this instance? In Genesis 50, 24, Joseph is dying. He tells his son, soon I will die, Joseph told his brother, sorry. But God will surely come to help you and lead you out of this land of Egypt. He will bring you back to the land he solemnly promised to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Joseph's on his deathbed. And instead of telling his brothers, you know, hey, 
okay, so I'm dying now. You know, I've been the head of this family or whatever. Everybody's been looking up to me. I've been providing for everybody. This is what you got to do. This is what you got to do. No, he tells them, God will surely come to help you. Don't worry about me dying and me not being here for you. God is going to help you. God is going to keep his promises. Joseph was ready to die. He had no doubt that God would keep his promise and one day bring the Israelites back to their homeland. What a tremendous example of how faith should be in our lives. The secret of that kind of faith is a lifetime of trusting God. Our faith is like a muscle. It grows with exercise, gaining strength over time. The more we have faith, the easier it comes to understand and to realize that God has our best needs at heart and God will always be there for us. After a lifetime of exercising trust, your faith can be as strong as Joseph's. I know for me, if I'm on my deathbed, I want to be able to say without, without a doubt, tell my kids, don't worry, everything's going to be all right. God's got you. I'm, I'm in a better place. We had something sort of like that with death last night with Gracie um, in bed. She's worried about Lacey dying and not being around anymore. And she's, she was crying in bed saying, I don't want Lacey to die. I don't want Lacey to die. But we had to explain to her that Lacey will be in a better place. She won't be blind anymore. She won't be hurt, and she'll be a better place. And she actually has kids that are so innocent. And she was like, well, can we buy her some new toys? So that way she has toys to play with. And we, um, we told her that, you know, she can't have toys in heaven, but she'll be with other dogs, and she'll be with nannies, nanny's dog and stuff like that and have fun. I think it helped her a little bit, but we'll see. Then at our death, we can have confidence that God will fulfill all his promises to us and those faithful to him. And especially our kids, if we instill trust and faith in them afterwards, we know they'll have faith in God. Go back a little bit. One negative thing, though, however, in Genesis 14, 11, 12, the Israelites complained. Why did you bring us out of here to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? This was the first time that Israel actually started grumbling and complaining about what God, where God was leading them. But see, like the Israelites back then, it was too easy for them to take their now um, problems and stuff like that and focus on them instead of where God was leading them. They only took it as, okay, well, we were doing good here. Now all of a sudden we're not doing good. Why would you do that to us? They didn't take into consideration or have the faith that God was taking them from good to bad, but he was leading them to even better. They were only focused on the here and now. And grumbling would become a major problem for the people in their journey. This lack of faith in God was startling. Like, God had protected them all that time and was leading them and was there with them. He, Israel was his chosen people. 
Not the Canaanites, not the Mennonites. It was Israel. And yet they wanted to complain. Yet often we do the same thing. We find ourselves doing the same thing, complaining over inconveniences or discomforts. In our lives when we wake up or, you know, we're, we're doing, going throughout our day and something comes up that we don't like, all of a sudden it puts a little wrench in our plans. What's the first thing that we do? We complain. Why, why would God do that? Why would God allow this to happen? Instead of praying or going through the word and reading the word, okay, God, you know, show me in your word how to deal with this, how to get through this. The Bible is basic instructions before leaving earth. Instructions. If you're having a problem with your microwave or your, or your washing machine, what do you usually do? I go on YouTube and say, okay, this is the problem. But if you don't have YouTube or a phone, you go to the instruction manual. It always has in there troubleshooting. And then you go down through, okay, my washer's not turning on. Okay, this, is the, this is the, could be the problem, and this is how you fix it. It's the same thing with the Bible and God. Instead of grumbling or being like, oh, man, now my washer's broke. Okay, now i got to go to new, get a new washer. You go to the instruction manual. You go to the Bible or, and pray to God. Pray to God first because you're not going to know where to look in the Bible unless you pray to God and get a word from God on where to go. I mean, you could. You could start at the very beginning and read the whole Bible through, but now you just wasted all that time when you could have just prayed to God and got instructions from God on where to go. The Israelites were about to learn some tough lessons. Grumbling does not, complain, does not fix anything. Complaining and worrying. In the Bible it says, do not worry for tomorrow has its own worries. We're to go to God first. Had they trusted God, they would have been spared much grief. Do you guys know how long it takes to get from, I believe it was Egypt, to where God was sending them if you did a straight path? It definitely was not 40 years. It doesn't take 40 years. And yet their time was prolonged because they did not trust God. They did not follow God and have faith in him. Too often it's the same thing in our lives. If we don't have faith in God or we don't go to God, our circumstances are prolonged because of that. If we would have just, instead of taking it upon ourselves to try and figure it out, go to God, allow him to help us. I know with my kids, especially the older ones, we try to give them advice and stuff like that. And, you know, teenagers, they don't want to hear it. They're adults now. They can do what they want. I've learned in the past that if I would have listened to my parents, I probably wouldn't have been going through a lot of the problems I went through. My life wouldn't have been as hard as it was for as long as it was and took me as long as it did to get where I am today if I would have listened. It's the same thing with God. Our human nature is self-centered, doing what we want to do for us. But we're not, we are human, but we're not supposed to have human natures. We're supposed to be Christ-like. And everything that Christ did, he did for his Father. And he did for us humans to have a relationship with his Father. 
That's true faith there. Doing exactly what God wants you to do for the better outcome. In Deuteronomy 122, it says, But you all came to me and said, First, let's send out scouts to explore the land for us. They would advise us on the best route to take and which towns we should enter. God's telling them to go into this land. Now, us as humans and the Israelites were like, okay, well, we'll go here, but let us go in first and find out if this is really, really a good piece of land you're giving us. The, house, the scouts had been sent in the land not to determine whether they should enter, but to gain knowledge and determine how they should enter. They were, they were following God. They were like, okay, we're going to go in here, but... How exactly do we want to enter? Because they wanted to take the easiest possible route. All of us do the same thing. We want to get from point A to point B. We want to do it the easiest route. You know, God might say, okay, you're going to go from point A to point B, but I need you to go to C, D, and F first and then to B. But they want the straight route. Upon returning, however, most of the scouts had concluded that the land was not worth the obstacles. How many of us have went to purchase something or wanted something and then we saw what we had to do to do it? And we're like, you know what, it's not even worth it. Why even do it? God would give the Israelites the power to conquer the land, but they were afraid of the risk and decided not to enter. They took their own comfort and their own desires above God's. I know me as a parent, when I, you know, try to help the kids and, you know, provide lifelong experience to help them better their lives, and they do exactly what they want to do and not follow me, it hurts me. Because I'm not trying to do it to control their lives. I'm trying to do it because I know what's going to happen. I've been there. I've done it. I've seen other people go through the same things, and I've seen the outcome of them. And I'm trying to, pro to lessen their heartache and their troubles. How do you think God felt at that time when the Israelites were like, you know what? Nah, we're, 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 thanks, Dad, but I'm not going there. God gives us the power to do what he's called us to do. But just as the Israelites were filled with fear and skepticism, we often let difficulties control our lives. When we follow God, regardless of these dif those difficulties, we demonstrate courageous, overcoming faith. Just think of the examples. We as Christians are supposed to be examples to the non-believers and even to other believers on faith and how to follow God. Could you imagine what their thoughts are if they see us go through these tough difficulties and come out on the other end unscathed and happy? Not beaten down by the path that we had to take, but yet happy that we took that and we made it through. And even our... our attitude during these trials and tribulations. Could you imagine the impact that you would have on somebody, a non-believer or even another believer, 
when you show the faith that you have in God going through these difficulties. Instead of saying, no, you know what? I'm good. I'm not going to do this. Instead of saying, God, I'm going to follow you. Where's my next step? What should I do? Second Kings 4, 6. It says, Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There, there aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. This is the story where the mother had, I believe it was two boys, and she had a small flask. And her faith, I think it was Elisha or Elijah, said that she could take that flask and fill up a container for oil. And oil was used for food, for heating, for lights, and everything. She took this small flask, we'll say it was a quart, and filled up these huge containers. Many of them, they went throughout the town and were pulling in all these containers. They filled them all up until there was no more empty containers in the town. The olive oil was used for cooking, lamps, fruit, fuel. The oil only stopped when they ran out of the containers to put it in. It didn't stop because she stopped having faith. It stopped because they ran out of places to put their faith. Good thing about God is there is no limit to him. God's provision was as large as their faith and willingness to be obedient. It's the same with us today. God's the same then as he is now as he is tomorrow. His promises and his power never stops. We as humans limit what he can do for us because of our faith. We think that just because God is in religion and stuff like that, we go to church to, to worship God and to praise God, and then we go throughout our days that God's not there because, you know, it's not church. It's our world. But that's not true. God's everywhere, every day. When we go out into the world, we can't limit the decisions that we make by where we're at. Just because we're not in church doesn't mean God can't work for us. So if we limit God's ability to where we are in life and our circumstances, we're never going to have anything done for us properly. What we have to do is put God first in everything. When we wake up in the morning, God first. When we're at work, God first. When we go home, even when we're cooking dinner or putting the kids to bed, God first. When our car breaks down alongside of the road, most of us probably have AAA. We call AAA. Hey, come tell us. No, God first. Pray to God. God, you know, I'm going to call AAA. Yes, I know I got to do that, but can you help me out with this situation? You know, God might make it work out where AAA shows up and says, oh, hey, your battery just needs jumped. No problem. Here, I got you. And you're on your way. We can't limit God's provisions for us by where we are in life. We have to have faith every day, every second, that God's going to be there with us.
Because he loves us, we can bring great requests to him. God is able to do infinite more than we can ask, think, or imagine. We can't limit him just to the, when we read the Bible, okay, well, he helped this person in this circumstance, and he worked this person in this circumstance, but nowhere in the Bible did I see this situation. We can't limit him to that. He can do anything, big or small. We can't limit his provisions for us on our understanding. Because he even says in the Bible, we, would do not, we will never understand God or his ways. Second Kings 19.31 For a remnant of my people will spread out from Jerusalem, a great survivors from Mount Zion. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. As long as there's a tiny spark that remains in us, a fire can be rekindled and fanned into a roaring blaze. Similarly, if we just if we have just a small remnant of believers retaining the spark of faith, God can rebuild it into a strong nation. We can't think that just because we're a little church of a congregation of what, maybe 70 right now, if a little less than that, a little more, that we don't have any power. Because we do. It only takes a small spark to start a fire. But unless we put that spark into the place that we want the fire, it's never going to happen. We have to have faith that God will be there with us. And just because we come across people that used to be believers and now they're not living like that, they don't, they're, they're not practicing their faith or whatever, we can't think that that's not possible to bring them back. Only if a glimmer of faith remains in a believer's heart, God can use it to restore a blazing faith in the believer. If you feel that only a spark of faith remains in you, ask God to use, ask God to use it to rekindle a roaring fire of commitment to him. If you've stepped away from doing, reading the Bible or doing things and praying more often, if you're taking a step away from praying, guess what? You're going to have to pray to get this started again. Pray to God. Ask him, hey, I've been having certain state. I've let the world come into me too much. Help me rekindle that fire that I had for you when I first became, when I first became a true believer. I know when I first became a true believer, it was I was reading the Bible every chance I had every day. I was doing push-ups, read a chapter. Do some more push-ups, read a chapter. You know, I walk down the street, hey, God loves you. You know what I mean? We, had, we need to get, get that restored in us. And when you get that fire starting to blaze again, you have to learn to put more fuel on it. You can't just be like, I got the fire going, cool, I'm all good. No, you have to put more, you have to put more fuel on it. Stay in the Word. Stay praying. Stay helping other people. The most important thing, though, is have faith in God. In everything. Matthew 3, 9. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. 
That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. God's message hasn't changed from the Old Testament. People will be held accountable for their unproductive lives. God doesn't ask us just to avoid sin, but to be proactive in following him. John compared people who claim that they, they believe God, but don't live for God, to unproductive trees that will be cut down. To be fruitful for God, we must obey his commands. Resist temptation, actively serve and help others, and share our faith. How does our lives, as we live throughout the day, bear fruit for God? If you took a a mental accountability of your day at the end of the day on what you did during that day to produce more fruit for God, to reach at least one believer or, you know, show someone, even not, um, not on purpose, just by the way you lived. If you could look back through your life and be like, okay, in this, in this situation today, if somebody was watching me, could they tell I was a believer? No? Okay, maybe I should change, my, change it next time. We can't be true believers and have the faith that we have if we don't put it into practice. Many of us say, okay, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. I do. I go to church every Sunday. What else do I have to do? I believe in God. I'm saved. I gave my life over to God. Did you really give your life over to God, though? Do you live every second of your day for God? Do you live every day, every second of your day to advance the kingdom of God? Because without us following God and leading others to God, there is no kingdom. We're not going to be able to get there until everyone becomes a believer. God says he's not going to come back until everyone has heard about him. So what are we doing in our part to tell everybody, to express to everybody, to show everybody God? Because believe me, if everybody knew without a doubt that God would be here right now and say, listen, if everybody believes in me tomorrow, everybody's heard about me tomorrow, all sin's gone. Everything's done. My kingdom's coming tomorrow. I'll bet you everybody will be running right at, uh, sorry, right out of this church right now telling everybody, God's real. Hey, I want to show you God real quick. I know Jamal would be. He'd be out there with, the, with, the, with his little um, tambourine going, God's real. Let's go. But that's where faith comes in. Because God doesn't tell us in the Bible an exact date. If he told us December 31st, 2023, I'm coming back. I need everybody to know about me. Everybody would be out there telling them. But then there comes the instance where we have the non-believers that are being like, okay, God's coming back December 31st. I I have until December 29th to start getting on board here. That's not how it is. We are to have faith every day that God's going to do what he says he's going to do.
Don't worry, guys. Only 20 more slides and we'll be done. <laughs> Matthew 7, 21. It says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. So just because we say, Lord, Lord, doesn't mean we're going to be there. There are lots of people on earth that profess to know God, to follow God, to be Christian. And yet, if you look at their lives, it does not go according to what, what the Word says. It, God can look down on them and be like, uh, no, I don't know you. Jesus exposed people who sounded religious but had no personal relationship with him. On Judgment Day, only our relationship with Jesus, our acceptance of him as Savior, and our obedience to him will matter. Many people think that if they are good people and say religious things, they will be rewarded with eternal life. In reality, faith in Jesus is what will count at Judgment Day. We can't say we believe in Jesus or we believe in God and get to Judgment Day and be like, hey, I believed in you. And then he goes, okay, well, what about this situation here? You didn't, you didn't pray to me. You didn't come to me with faith that I would help you. Instead, you tried to do it yourself. Where was, where was your faith and your belief in me at that time? Many of us can look back over our lives and find numerous times that we took it upon ourselves instead of believing and having faith in God. Matthew 5, 11 through 12. I was telling you about faith and what faith can do for you. However, here's a byproduct of what having true faith could become. Or not a byproduct, uh, opposition to it. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. The negative to being so faithful in God and following God is you're going to have others come against you. Why are you following God? You don't even, he's not even real. You can't see him. What's he, what, what, do you, what about this situation? What do you do for you there? Jesus said to be happy when we're persecuted for our faith. How many people have ever been arrested? How many of us have <laughs> said, sweet, I get to ride in the cop car? No. We've always had a negative reaction towards it. One thing, though, out of that is I was arrested. I did four years in jail. If I would not have been arrested and done four years in jail, given my life to God before I got arrested, okay, can you guys understand that? I gave my life to the Lord. I said, I'm going to follow you, God, no matter what. The next week I was, or the next month I was arrested and put in jail and stayed there for four years. 
But like I said, at that time, I was a new believer. I was on fire, and I was like, okay, God's got me. He's got a reason for this. Four years, I didn't know what the reason was. I come home. I get married to my lovely wife. I have kids. I have the life that I have now. The product of having faith in God that God knew what he was going to do for me. I could have been like everybody else and been like, thanks, God, I got arrested. Where were you? But persecution can be good sometimes. It takes our eyes off of earthly rewards. At that time, I was only thinking about myself, that time in my life. What can I do for me? I wasn't worried about anybody else or, you know, I wasn't worried about getting married and making my girlfriend happy at the time. Sorry, babe. I was only worried about me, me being happy. But being in jail got me to a position where I was away from all that stuff. I could actually take into, my, into, into account what I really wanted in life. What did I really want for my life? Reading the Bible, having a relationship with God, praying, gave me answers to all of that stuff. I used to have visions when I, was, when I would go to sleep at night in jail. And it would be, you know, it's really weird because everybody dreams. Sometimes you wake up and you're like, I know I dreamt last night, but what did I dream about? Sometimes you wake up and be like, whoa, was I really dreaming? That was like realistic. I would have those visions of a life where I wasn't addicted to drugs, I wasn't committing crimes, and I had a happy family. That was God talking to me. I can do this for you. You can have this if you let go and let God. Don't do it yourself. You're going to mess it up. You're human. That time of persecution, it strips away superficial beliefs. The belief that I can do it on my own. I don't need anybody else. How many of us here have here had said that in their life? It strengthens our faith if we endure, and it serves as an example to others who follow as they see the way that we live going through it. A lot of you boys here, you have family. A lot of the Manos clients, you have family in your life that are probably doing the exact same things you guys have done. They're probably having the exact same thoughts that you've had. How can I get out of this? Why do I need to get out of this? Should I even get out of this? You guys can be an example to your whole family, your friends, by how you live at Manos and what you take into your life. If you become believers and you start following the Bible and you follow God and you go through this, that situation over there and you get out, you're going to be right back around the same people you were around before. You can't give in to the temptation or the peer pressure of where you were before as to where you want to be. If you can be around those same people and be like, no, nah, I'm good, bro. I don't need that. And move on. You could be that one spark for a family member or a friend that's been trying to get out of this for so long and doesn't know how to do it to come up to you and be like, man, how did you do that? How did, you, how did you turn your life around so bad, from so bad to so good? And you can be the inspiration to him. It was God. I tell people all the time, I, pr- I prayed to get saved on a, on a Saturday night at church. My mom was into drugs at the same time. She woke me up Sunday morning with some drugs and was like, hey, do you want some? 
I prayed to God, and I was like, the night before, God, I need help. I can't do this anymore. I, I've tried to do it on my own. I need you. I can't do it without you. My mom woke me up the next day with drugs. My first thought was, no, I'm going to want more. I got to get out of here. And I left. Haven't done drugs since. The only way you can get out of those situations is to trust God and to follow God, to have faith in God. In those situ- it could have been so easy for me to be like, oh, yeah, one time I got this. I'll just do a little bit and I'll go on my day. But that's, that's the way Satan works. This is what you want? Yeah, you can have it. Do it. You'll be good this one time. Because that's how you get you. One time turns into two to three to four. That takes you away from God. There is no, if you want to go to paradise, you want to go to heaven. If you're trying to find a a permanent vacation destination, it's heaven. It is not hell. Hell, there is pain and suffering and darkness and, you know, it's not happy there. Heaven, there is no pain. There is no suffering. There is no darkness. It's all light. It's all love. The fact that many Christians around the world have been persecuted is the evidence of faithfulness. Faithless people would be unnoticed. How many times do we hear on the news and stuff about Christians being murdered in third world countries and stuff like that or you know, Christianity being banned and people are doing churches in their basements in fear that somebody's going to find out? We often hear about it. But we don't hear about the people not believing in God. You know, oh, hey, these, you know, atheists went off and did this and were persecuted because they didn't believe in God. We hear about the persecutions about the people that believed in God. In the future, God will reward the faithful by receiving them into his eternal kingdom. Where no one will face persecution. You don't have to worry about waking up in the morning. Okay, I got to go into work. Who's going to say something bad about me today? No, because we're going to wake up in the morning. I don't even think there's sleep. Is, is there sleep in heaven? I was going to say, say, we're going to wake up in the morning and be like, get to go praise God. Let's go. No, we don't have to worry about, oh, man, what do I got to do today? Do I got to sweep the temple floor again? No, it's all fun, all happy. Matthew 21, 19. And he noticed the fig tree beside the road. He went over to see if there was any figs, but there were only leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately the fig tree withered up. Why did did Jesus curse the fig tree? It was not a thoughtless, angry act but an acted-out parable. Jesus was showing his anger at religion without substance. How mad do you think Jesus and God is now that we have churches that condone homosexual, homosexual relationship and marriages, that condone child molesters and stuff being in their clergy and stuff like that? How mad do you think God is that us as a world is allowing that to happen and they are not persecuted or um, 
to have consequences for that. Just as the fig tree looked good from a distance, but was fruitless on close examination, the temple looked impressive at first, but its sacrifices and other activities were hollow because they were not done to worship God sincerely. Just because we are Christians and we say we go to church on Sundays and we do our Bible studies and we do our cell group meetings and stuff like that, that's nothing to God. Until we go out there and we have faith in God and we spread his word, we talk about him, we expand his kingdom, we're just as bad as the fig tree, not producing any fruit. Yeah, we look good. We talk a good game, but to what extent? If we only appear to have faith without putting it to work in our life, we are like the fig tree. It withered and died because it bore no fruit. Genuine faith means bearing fruit for God's kingdom. It means praying, going to church, helping others. The most important thing is having faith in God in every circumstance in our life. 2 Peter 3.18 Rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All glory to him, both now and forever. Amen. Peter concludes this brief letter as he began by urging his readers to grow into the grace and knowledge of their Lord and Savior. Jesus, that is. They were to get to know him better and better. This is the same way we can discern and combat false teaching. The better we know the real Jesus, the less likely we'll be deceived by, by any false teaching about him. No matter where we are in spiritual journey, no matter how mature we are in our faith, the sinful, fallen world will always challenge our belief in Jesus. We still have much room for growth. Even me, as an elder of the church, Hub, as the pastor of the church, Ron, with worship, Sonny, with worship, we all have room to grow. None of us are perfect Christians. Every day we need to draw closer to Christ so that we will be prepared to stand for truth in any and all circumstances. The only way we are going to learn exactly how to be disciples for God and Jesus is to read his word and to pray. The only way, when we were in school, the only way we learned math was to go through our math books and do math problems and solve them and keep doing them and keep learning. We didn't just start with 2 plus 2 and be like, oh, good, I'm, I know math. No. 2 plus 2, 4 plus 4, 8 plus 8. Then we started the multiplication. We, we started, when we start young, we start easy, and then we get harder as we go. The only way we're going to learn to be truly faithful for God and to expand his kingdom is to pray and to read his word. 
How many people here know who Abraham Lincoln is? Does everybody know about his whole life, everything that happened in his life, from birth to death? How would we get to know that information? Reading. Reading. Reading what? A biography, right? Hey, look, it's a book. If you start in the beginning, the very, very first scripture, in the beginning, God created the earth and heaven. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The very beginning, it starts with God. This whole thing is about God. In the the Old Testament, Jesus is talked about as a prophecy, someone that's going to come. In the New Testament, he's living their prophecies. It's all about Jesus. Who Jesus was, how he was born, how he became to be, how he lived his life, and how he's going to be with us after death. This whole book is about Jesus and God. So where do you think you've got to start to learn about him and to have a relationship with him? The Bible. And believe me, this thing is, yes, Sometimes it can be hard to interpret exactly what God's saying, but that's why we have elders, we have pastors, and we have others that have been doing this like um, for a long time, experienced Christians, to ask. If you're at work and you don't know what you're doing, you usually go to somebody that's in seniority and say, hey, I've never done this before, how can I do this? You don't just be like, hey, I'll figure it out. The Bible That's the best way to know God. Yes, you can ask other people, hey, what's God like? Do you know God? What would he do in this circumstance? But more often, often, they're going to go off their own personal experiences. Well, when this happened to me, God, you know, helped me out this way. God's not a cookie cutter. uh, He's not a cookie cutter God. He's not the same for everybody. It's different. He's going to help Steve in, a, in the same circumstance that Jamal has differently and accountable with their needs and their, the way their life is. So, in conclusion, how do we have faith in action? Read, 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 pray. Read, 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 pray. That's all we got to do. Read the Bible. Pray to God. Actually, I should have put that backwards. Pray first. Read, read the Bible. When you're bored and you have nothing else to do, guess what? Pray to God. Read the Bible. Okay. Hmm? I... I understand what you're saying. Did everybody hear what he said? He's heard that if you pray and then you open the Bible, the first thing your eyes pop on is most likely going to help you. 
right? When I became a new Christian, I used to do that a lot. I would pray to God. I would open the Bible. I would not start with the first thing that I saw, though. I would start at that first beginning of that first chapter. And I would read until I got something out of it. Yes, it could happen. But like I said, God is not a cookie-cutter God. If it, ha- it worked for me, it's worked for whoever told you about it. Yes, it could work for you. You have to have faith, though. You can't, just because it worked for somebody else does not mean that it's going to work for you. Just because God helped this person out in this situation doesn't mean he's going to help you out the same way. Find your own way. Find But you can also do that. But don't be discouraged if it doesn't come out the way you're expecting. Because God does not work in our lives the way that we expect him to. He works in our lives the way that is best for us. So just if you do that, it doesn't work, don't give up. Pray to God. This, Yep. You know, pray to God. This didn't work for me, God. What, what, what do you want me to do? He'll give it to you. And you may have to sit there for a little bit until he answers you. It may not be right away, but he will answer you. So my challenge for everyone, because everybody, you know, everybody likes a challenge. That's why we wake up in the morning. Get more into the word. When you have a free time and you're just sitting at your dining room table and, you know, the house is all clean, the kids are out playing, there's nothing else to do, pick up your Bible and read. Even if it's only one chapter or a couple verses, read. Pray to God. You're driving down the road, you know, and the radio's playing, and next thing you know, all of a sudden a commercial comes on. Who, who here really likes listening to commercials? I don't. I'm always flipping through the channels trying to find the next best song. Pray to God. One more, work, one more way to work, God. Allow this day to be good for me. What do, you, what do you want me to do today for you? How can I expand your kingdom today at work? We got a new employee. Should I talk to him? Should I not talk to him? Then, when God answers you, because we often do, yes, go talk to Bob. Oh, well, I don't know if I can really make time today. I got a busy day. God told you to go talk to Bob. Go talk to Bob. Have faith that God's going to give you what to say. That's the biggest thing, our faith. That right there is our limiter in life. On how, how well our lives could be is our faith. If you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. All you need is a little bit. But we have to act on it. Thank you.